Today on Ag News Daily. Even with a lot of these tools out there, they, they were solving the problem of you know making financial reports at the end of the season, but they weren't really making the farm operate that much more efficiently. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined as always by Delaney Howell. How are you doing today, Mike? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. It is a hot day here in central Iowa. It's hot across the Corn Belt. Temps are pushing into the 90s, but not just in Iowa. It's also going to be toasty down in Texas where intern Ashton Carr is. Ashton, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm visiting my family out in the suburbs of Dallas, and it's really pretty down here. Got to see some of the summer hogs that we've got in the barn. So pretty, pretty great day, if you ask me. Fantastic. Can't go wrong with that. We've also got news happening in the world of agriculture. And Delaney, what stories are you watching today? Yes, I think one of the big stories we should start out talking about today on the podcast is crop progress or crop planting reports. Uh, because we had some numbers come out yesterday. So far, we see that corn is 93% planted and beans are only 75% planted, which was pretty low based on analyst expectations. We also, of course, got our excellence, good to excellent ratings. And corn came in at 74% good to excellent. Soybeans were at 70% good to excellent. So we are pretty much almost done, it looks like here, with corn planting at 93%. I don't know, Mike, what percentage North Dakota makes up, but I'm guessing we're not going to get a ton higher on our corn percentages, assuming that some of those places like North Dakota are pretty wet and likely not going to get anything planted. Yeah, I know that we are, if not past the first crop planting or you know, crop insurance deadline. We're getting very close. I want to say June 6th, but North Dakotans, if that's incorrect, be sure to let us know on Facebook and Twitter. Find us at Ag News Daily. I don't have a copy of their planting percentages in front of me, but I know they are continuing to run behind. Was following over the weekend a couple of North Dakota growers who went out. The hope was get some corn off the field. Remember, they're still trying to harvest a number of acres up there before they can get in and start planting. And uh, yeah, there were still stuck combines, stuck grain grain carts, stock semis. So, I mean, the saturation continues up north, North Dakota, eastern, northeastern South Dakota, and parts of western Minnesota. So, yeah, Delaney, I think you're right. It won't be long before those acres are just written off completely. Yeah, absolutely. But, Mike, what news are you watching today? Well, we've got news. You know, one of the things we've been talking about off and on throughout this whole COVID pandemic has been the issues with ethanol. Uh, the ethanol industry, as gasoline production dried up, as gasoline blending came to an end, of course, they're blending with ethanol. And so the ethanol market fell apart. Uh, we did have a report from the EIA yesterday that ethanol production volumes were up 9% week over week, healthy growth, probably starting to see that reflected in the countryside with some stronger basis from local ethanol plants, those that are are trying to increase capacity. However, we're still 32% below last year's production level. This comes at a time where RIN values are increasing. RINs, for our listeners, uh, that is a renewable identification number. These are the credits that are created anytime a gallon of ethanol is produced. And if you're a blender, if you're a refiner, a crude oil gasoline producer, and you're not going to blend with ethanol, you have to buy RINs to make up for that lack of blending. Well, RINs credits, as reported by Reuters earlier today, traded up to 
50, excuse me, gosh, my brain is fried today. They traded up to 50 cents yesterday, and that is an increase from 37 cents at the start of May. So prices are up, you know, 15 cents a month over month. And basically, refiners are starting to get concerned that perhaps the Trump administration is going to look at some of the waiver policies for the RBOs. We could see this be decided well, who knows when, but it's a, it's a follow-up of the 10th Circuit, 10th Circuit Court of Appeals back in January. And um, this basically ruled that if an exemption is going to be granted to a smaller refinery, it has to take the form of an extension, meaning that eventually those RINs credits have to be basically either purchased or ethanol has to be purchased and blended. The refiners think that might actually become the settled law that the Trump administration might not fight it, as was the initial uh, response after this ruling was issued. And that's driving RINs credits up. Could be beneficial for ethanol in the long term. It certainly could be beneficial, but we will wait and see. And you can keep an eye on that story for us, Mike. Yeah, of course. Of course, I will. Ashton, what news are you watching today? I actually was looking at the 14 goals that Corteva Corteva AgriScience has come up with to achieve by 2030. These goals were created to benefit farmers, land, and communities and create better company operations. They're a part of Corteva's 10-year commitment to advance global food sustainability. And the company will have updates on progress in an annual sustainability report beginning in 2021. And the goals include training and tools to improve soil health, water stewardship, climate action, on-farm productivity, biodiversity, supply chain, transparency, and worker safety. And if you want to get a full list of those goals, listeners, you can visit sustainability.corteva.com. So I thought it was just interesting with all this talk of sustainability and food chain and all that good stuff with COVID-19. And so for them to come out with those 14 goals, I thought it was a really nice way to come up with something um, for them to achieve by 2030. Yeah. And, you know, a good follow up piece of news, I think, to that too, Ashton, is um, I guess it's not exactly the same, but I've been watching, you know, as we reopen things, how businesses are responding, but more specifically, how are farmers responding? And I thought this was interesting. Farm Journal Media did a survey of some of the farmer and ranchers that use you know, agweb.com, agritalk, etc. And they found that farmers are pretty much concerned still about COVID-19, especially when it comes to large gatherings. So about 50% of the farmers and ranchers surveyed that they asked said that they are concerned about the coronavirus. And they say it will influence their decisions to attend upcoming trade shows or large gathering events. I'm thinking like Commodity Classic and CBA, uh, the one that's definitely on the horizon here as we are entering into the summer months is the uh, Farm Progress Show that's I think in Boone this year. So about half of those folks say that they are probably not going to attend those events they're concerned about being in large groups. Another 46% say that social distancing restrictions will influence their attendance. And another 36% said that they indicated the depressed ag economy will influence their show attendance choices as well. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be something to watch. And I think you're right, Delaney, with Farm Progress being really the next major event. Now that a number of uh, county and state fairs have been canceled, Farm Progress will probably be the, the first big bellwether as to what to expect as we head into the fall. And, you know, it's interesting. That's what folks are reporting now. We'll have to see what happens with COVID over the summer. We'll see if they can claw back some headlines or if perhaps it will uh, fade into the rearview mirror. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's take a quick look. You know, we've been keeping track of what's happening in the meatpacking industry. You know, as we're talking about COVID-19, the meatpacking industry remains no stranger to it. And there is now an outbreak at a plant in Los Angeles. This is a Smithfield-owned plant that produces Farmer John branded products. And uh, just about 10% of the workforce at, workforce at the plant has been confirmed uh, with being hit with COVID-19. They're saying at least 153 employees. The union that represents those workers, these are United Food and Commercial Workers Union members, um, they are calling for the plant to be closed. The president of that union said, quote, it's dangerous and the problem with this is that it's invisible, insidious, and deadly. And they are advising that the plant be closed right away to, you know, allow for a deep cleaning of the plant. <laughs> In addition to the union asking for the plant to be closed, PETA has gotten involved. The People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals has brought their, quote, pandemic pig down to uh, agitate for the plant to be closed, but that's just going to be more pigs on farms get euthanized, so PETA's not saving any animals, but lack of foresight is something PETA is known for. Uh, Smithfield has said in response that they are going to present a plan to the county in order to better detail their mitigation efforts going forward. They have not made an effort to close the plant as of yet, Delaney. Okay, sounds good. Ashton, what other news are you watching? I'm actually all out of news for today, but Ashton, you have anything else? So monsoon rains have hit this week, and India is expected to receive about above average rainfall for the 2020 rainy season, which lasts about four months. And the result is leading to high farm output expectations, as well as a boost in the farming sector in Asia's economy, which is the third largest sector of that economy. And these monsoon rains are crucial for farming in the country and trigger the planting of rice, soybeans, and cotton. So they've got to keep an eye out for those rains as they head on over to that part of the world. For sure. And I tell you what, weather is moving markets. Delaney, do you have any more news stories or should we dive in and see what the markets are doing today? Let's do it. All right, folks. Well, we had weather maybe moving the markets with this hot weather expected to move across the Corn Belt. We had a weaker dollar moving the markets today, although it didn't do much in wheat. We had mixed trade in the grains today, and we had weakness in livestock, starting with the corn markets. July corn contract up a penny at 324 and a quarter. December new crop up two and a quarter, finished at 338 even. Over in soybeans, big move to the upside. The trade apparently taking out of the equation that China might stop making purchases after their purchase of potentially 300000 of the metric tons yesterday. July contract up 10 cents on the day, closed at 8.50 and a half, challenging some technical levels. November up eight and a quarter, finished at 8.60 and a half. In wheat, the July Chicago wheat contract down seven and a quarter at 5.08 even. December down five and a quarter, closed the day at 5.23 even. Looking over at livestock, live cattle, front month June limit down on the day, closed at 95.30. The August contract down $2.77 and a half, 
finished at 96.20. Feeder cattle pulled lower by the weakness in the live cattle contracts. The August front month contract down $2.70 at 133.42 half. September down $2.30, closed at 134.90. And in Lane Hogs, we've got mixed trade today. The July contract was down 27.5 cents at 54.8750. The August up 45 cents, closed at 55.55. And of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Looking at class three milk, the June contract rally continues. We talked about that yesterday with Naomi Bloom. If you want meat insights, check out yesterday's Market Monday podcast. The or milk insights, I should say. The June contract was up 58 cents at 1955, and the July up 28 cents to close at 1820. Without further ado, let's kick it over to today's interview. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, I'm very excited today. We are joined by Tyler McGee, founder of Shepherd Farming. And Tyler is also one of AgRad's 30 Under 30, which is how I originally got connected with you. Tyler, thanks so much for joining today. Yeah, thanks. Great to, have, uh, to be talking with you guys. So Tyler, before we get into talking about Shepherd Farming, which is a business that you started from scratch, tell us a little bit about your background and where you're located, that kind of thing. Yep. So we're based in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I grew up working on our family farm about two miles south of the Canadian border in northeast Montana. And I like to joke that Shepard really got his start with me sitting on the back of a truck waiting for a tank of diesel to fill up where, you know, just thinking there's my grandfather who was running the operation of how could we make this better? There has to be a better way, make things a little faster and more efficient than having to go back and forth every time. So Tyler, we really want to learn how we are going to make those trips to get diesel more efficient. But I've got an important question. How does somebody get from northeastern Montana to Raleigh, North Carolina? (laughs) So that's an excellent question. I went to college at the University of Montana in Missoula and spent four years basically tormenting my poor professors because University of Montana is not the land grant school. That's Montana State. And I knew I wanted to do something in what now we call ag tech, but at the time didn't exist. And my professors would tell me, they'd say, please, please stop bothering these farmers and go do something with Apple or Amazon. But I kept at it. I did a lot of research, a lot of work and prototyping and, you know, late night working and wrote my senior research thesis. And that got picked up by Texas A&M, which is where I went for grad school. And while I was at Texas A&M getting my master's, Syngenta hired me and told me I was moving to originally Greensboro, but uh, later Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, my my mentor over at Texas A&M said he was really disappointed and sad to see me leave. Uh, but he said that he had done the exact same thing when I was at Montana, so he couldn't fault him too hard. But spent about two years in Greensboro working at the, the main Syngenta site there and then quickly moved into research and development technology and spent the last four and a half years working in Raleigh in the RTP site doing that. So Tyler, we're seeing so many advancements in technology within the agriculture industry. Obviously, Shepard is no different. But when you were creating this platform, what kind of farmer were you thinking of as your audience? Were you wanting to help young first-time farmers or were you wanting to provide something new to someone more established? What was your thought process there? It's a really good question. I don't think we really approached it that way. What really got it started was, you know, working while I was at Syngenta, having a lot of of farm management tools out there and a lot of record keeping stuff and realizing that even with a lot of these tools out there, they, they were solving the problem of, you know, making financial reports at the end of the season, but they weren't really making the farm operate that much more efficiently. And I remember it it dawned on me while I was working with a farmer and walking around his operation that 
you know, if you if you make labor more efficient, if you can make that process just a little bit less friction involved, um, you you touch every part of the operation. You make the entire process so much better because labor is this connective piece that that brings all the others together. And I, I tell farmers, you know, that your your tractors are getting better, your seeds are getting better, your chemicals are getting more precise every single year. And the labor aspect, we just kind of accept that for lack of a better term, it, it just kind of sucks. And it's something that affects every single farm at every single level. And, you know, what we're trying to do with Shepherd and what we're doing is is making labor, bringing it up into line with the rest of, of the way that the ag works, especially with the inputs and the the parts and processes that make it all come together. Yeah. Let's and look, let's oh, go ahead, Delaney. I was just going to say, looking at your website, shepherdfarming.com, you can look and see at some of the screenshots from the app. And I guess, to be honest, when we originally started talking to you about getting you on the podcast as an interview, I was thinking this is a platform to connect laborers with employers, but it's that's not the case at all. You're, you're going way beyond that and actually using this, it looks like, to help current employees connecting and knowing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great point. And what we did is we started at the very basic level. We said, you know, what do we need to get the farm with the existing workforce working better? And so that's, that's where we're at right now is, you know, finding ways to connect the the workers with the farm management office, making sure that everybody's in the loop on what needs to be done and who's accountable and then making those records as we go, you know, intelligently capturing and, and parsing them into usable records for the end of the year. And what we're working on is now that we have that in place, that was the the big output from our research trials last year, Ag Launch uh, research trials in Tennessee. And we said, now that we've got that in place, now that it's rock solid, now that we know that tasks don't disappear in the ether when you you save one, um, now we can start doing the really fun stuff. We can do things like starting to work on if a farm needs to add more labor, can they do that? We can do things like, you know, working intelligently around the weather and making sure that the farm operates as as cleanly and efficiently as possible, you know, things that up until now weren't even possible. That's that's the really fun stuff we can do because we have that foundation in place. So Tyler, talk us through how does shepherd farming work? What does the farmer see? Because I assume it's the farmer that signs up for the software and then implements it for their employees. Is that the structure or, or just bring me up to speed? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. So the way that it works is typically... The farm management office downloads Shepherd, sets up their farm, gets going. And once they have that, they're issued what's called a farm code. And they they just have to tell their workers that are working with them, go download this app and copy paste this farm code in and you'll automatically be registered on my farm. You'll see all of my fields. You'll see my equipment. Everything will be ready to go. Once they have that done, the farm management office can create tasks for what needs to be done. And they can assign them to specific workers or one of the things that we added last year that I'm really excited about based on direct feedback from our trials was you can assign a task to quote anyone on my farm. And what that does is it shows up in everybody's inbox and people can swipe on that task and claim it. And then it goes through the the, the rest of the workflow after that point. But once you assign a task to somebody, it goes in their inbox, they swipe on it, they say they're, they accept it, they're going to do that work. And then it shows up in their queue. And once they get that piece of work done, and again, they can do all the details about what's being asked of them, where it needs to be done, what needs to to happen as far as chemicals and seeds and inputs are involved, um, they mark that as completed. 
And then after that point, when it's completed, it gets archived into the farm records. So the farm management office can drill down into each field and even into each type of activity, you know, whether it's planting or spraying or harvesting or, or anything in between. Um, and they can see exactly what's happening on a farm, who did the work, when it was completed, if there were any issues. Uh, it's all automatically captured. There's no coming in at the end of the night to do data entry. Which I think makes it really nice and efficient that you're not having to go through and then manually make sure what got done, what didn't get done. Tyler, the other big question I have is what is the cost associated this with this and how does how does that work? Is this app free to download or do I have to pay a subscription fee? Yep. So that's that's a great question. And we did a lot of work on this at the end of the season last year, working directly with farmers to understand, you know, what's the best way of of, of finding a model that works for them, that works for us and keeps us afloat and growing. And the way that we set it up is it's free to download. You get your first 30 days free to try it out, see if it works for you or not. Um, and then after that point, you just need to have a subscription for each farm. So there's no based on acreage. There's no based on the number of, of workers or the users. Each farm just needs to have an active subscription. And we charge that either monthly or annually. Uh, some people like to have it monthly so they can try it out for a little longer than 30 days, but the annual uh, license is a lot cheaper, you know, if you if you broke it down by month. So we have a lot of people going that option. But that was something that, you know, I, I'll never forget one of the farmers I was working with where he looked at me and he said, you know, a lot of these other platforms out there, they try to charge per acre. And he, mm -hmm. he, he said to me, he said, I feel like I'm being punished for being large and being successful. And that doesn't feel fair to me. And so that was our big uh big key point when we were setting up the model was what is fair and what keeps things going so that we can keep making progress that we can keep adding new features and and we've got a lot of really cool things on the roadmap um but keeps things moving forward that is very cool and tyler before we let you go let our listeners know where is shepherd farming in the development process can i download this software today put it right to work this spring on my farm or are you guys still in the uh, beta testing phase so absolutely, you can download it right now on iOS. You go to the App Store and type in Shepherd Farming and it'll show up. We are working on an Android version. That's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks. We're very busily copying all the code over from iOS and, and making it work on Android as well. And we've got some really cool things coming up, especially for next year. We don't like to ever think of it being done. I know my parents asked, you know, so so when is this done? And I, I just laughed at them and I said, I've got enough ideas for about three lifetimes. So we've... We've got so many really cool, you know, very intelligent features that we think are going to make it so that it's, it's going to be game changing for the way that farms work, that it makes them feel modern. It makes them feel just as fast and efficient as what we're seeing in other industries. Just like a successful farm, you're going to be innovating and diversifying and improving for the time to come. Tyler McGee with Shepherd Farming, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thank you guys so much. It was really great talking with you guys. Well, again, a big thank you there to Tyler of Shepherd Farming. It is fun to talk with other ag grad 30s under 30 under 30s. I'm sure we're going to have quite a few more come on the podcast before it's all said and done, but just really interesting to see, especially in today's episode, what's being done on the labor front to streamline some of those processes. Absolutely. Things are always changing. If you want to keep caught up on what is going on in the world of agriculture, you can always check out our past episodes at our website, agnewsdaily.com, or interact with us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. With that, Ashley, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.